Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Audio the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, we last recorded in a state of euphoria because the Mets had just signed Carlos Correa and all was good in the world. Um, we find ourselves in a slightly different situation right now. Um, the Carlos Correa deal is still not official. We don't have a ton of information about it. Um, we'll talk about what we know in a minute. But just from like a gut feeling right now, are you worried about this deal falling through? And second question, are you worried about the deal going through? Like, does this does this change how you feel about Correa at all? I guess start by start by talking about if this changes what's going on in your mind with Correa. Like, does this does this make you not want him as a Met as as seriously? Does this not change that at all? And then do you think this deal actually happens? Right. Yeah. So. Starting with that, I I still want him on this team, and I think it's fair to say, given the uh, circumstances with both the Giants and the Mets, that there is some legitimate concern about the long term effects of that injury that he suffered on that ankle long a long time ago. Now, mm-hmm. um, if both of those teams uh, and like the way the Giants did it was just. I'd assume he's going to hate them forever. Uh, pulling out as he's like already dressed to go to the introductory yes, press conference. Yes. That, that uh, That's not going to sit well, uh, I don't think. I, I can't imagine that they'll ever get another opportunity to 
bring him there. But uh, I I do think that the Mets and the Giants sort of coming to the same conclusion about that. Uh, and then no other team coming in and saying, hey, uh, we don't care. We'll, you know, we'll give you that deal with uh, without hesitation. That That's an indicator that there seems to be a legitimate cause for concern. But in the short to medium term, you know that he has been an excellent player for his whole major league career, and he's a really good hitter. Uh, and we uh, we wrote up and talked about what the Mets lineup would look like with him in it and everything, and it's just, as a fan, I don't want to go back on that. <laughs> that That's right. really exciting. Um, and the fact that Ken Rosenthal um, had reported earlier this week, I think maybe just yesterday, that there's an expectation that this deal will get done between the Mets and Correa. It's just going to look uh, a lot different than the original one that they agreed to uh, late at night in December. So fairly, I don't know, I'm feeling pretty good about it. I, I think it'll happen. I definitely want to see him on the team. And if the ankle issue turns into something that starts to slow him down uh, from a production standpoint, then nobody's going into this without uh, being aware that that is a possibility. And if the team and, and Correa work out a deal that they're both comfortable with, uh, having a plan in place if that happens to kind of cover whatever risk there is, then uh, great. Yeah, that could work out for everybody. Um, but yeah, we've been so deprived of uh, this level of baseball player being even a possible acquisition for the Mets that I just can't care about years. 10, 11, and 12. I'd assume that those years will not be guaranteed in, in a new deal uh, anyway at this point. But even if they are there in some way, whether it's vesting options or ways for the Mets to uh, sort of opt out of the contract earlier because of that injury, um, then all right. But yeah, no, I... The only cause for concern is that there just hasn't been an update. Uh, even even with the holidays in play, it was just sort of, uh, I don't know, I had the, there's a thought of like, um, what's left to negotiate, right? Right, right. Well, <laughs> but, I wonder, uh, I, I, I wonder, so a couple of things I, I want to jump in here about. Uh, first of all, I, I tend to agree with you that, I mean, I, we really ha we've talked about this on the show a number of times. We have to dislodge our thinking from the way we've thought about free agency, our entire Mets fandom, because Cohen changes all of that. And so, the idea of worrying about years, not just ten, eleven, twelve, but even like seven through twelve, is almost irrelevant to the way that Cohen is going to run this team. If he's shitty in seven years, they'll cut him. I really believe that's that's the way the team is going to operate now, unless the next CBA totally changes stuff, which I can't really see happening. I just think that that's the reality of the Cohen ownership, is that just that these things aren't going to be as detrimental to future success because there is just a much bigger bank behind it. So on one hand, I don't care about that. On the other, if two teams both 
are this concerned about something, I think there is something there. When it was just the Giants, it became very easy to look at this as they had buyer's remorse, and this was their way around that buyer's remorse. When you bring in the Mets, who knew there was an issue, and they swooped in, and they tried to get it done, and even with them knowing there was an issue, they were concerned about that issue, there's something there. I'm not saying that it is a disaster, that it is un, you know, unavoidably uh, going to tank the deal, his career, all of that. It just means that there is there is some fire where there is this smoke. Now, the injuries never affected him on the major league level, and so there is no cause for immediate concern. But again, if two teams, and specifically one of those teams being the Mets, were able uh, wanted to, to void this deal or wanted to at least change the deal, I do think there's something there. I think that because the Mets are constructed the way they are, right now he is already moving from a more physically demanding position to a less by going from shortstop to third. Not that third base is the easiest position in the world. I am not trying to say that third basemen do not have a toll put on their body that is above what the average American does. I'm not implying that at all. But third base is a slightly less physically demanding position than shortstop is. With the idea that five or six or seven years down the road, maybe Correa becomes your DH after he slows down enough to shift him from third to second and then from second to DH, I think that's a viable path for him. And again, those years really don't matter. Um, I think the deal gets done. I think the deal gets done in a way that is going to be surprising. I mean, look, we haven't said this yet, but I think that this bears... I mean, you, you, you sort of said it. I think if there was another team that was as serious about Correa as the Mets were, that were willing to overlook this, Correa would already have a contract signed someplace else. I think that other teams are concerned. We know Correa wants to play in New York. He wants to play next to Lindor. And so I think this deal gets done. But I think it's going to get done in a way that's going to be surprising. I wouldn't be surprised if the total dollar amount for the deal potentially is higher than we than the initial contract. But it's much more incentive-based now. Like, maybe they go back up to the $350 million that the... Uh, Giants had offered, but it's contingent on X amount of healthy seasons in a row, etc., etc. I don't think he ever gets near that. I think they're going to make the contract look on paper like Correa is not lose like not losing face here. I don't know if that makes sense. I just feel like Correa and um, Boris are not going to want it to look like they lost this. They're not going to make it look like they had these two you know, 10-plus-year contracts worth $300 million, and now they're signing a five-year, $185 million contract. That's not the look that Boris wants for his client. So I think you're going to see this very incentive-laden deal. It's going to look like there's a potential for him to make all this money. And then I think the reality is he probably never even gets close to that. Does that sound reasonable to you as a way that they might play this? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So... I think that's what we end up hearing. Hopefully, 
sometime this week. It would it, just be it, nice to have it sort of wrapped up. <laughs> if you and I are, 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 are anything, it is that we are consistently podcasting directly before deals are announced. So you'll yes. probably hear about it this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, in which case, you're welcome, uh, and we're just as excited as you are, yes. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, it's weird how it's sort of just put their whole off season into a bit of a stall. And obviously some of the timing uh, around the holidays has a lot to do with that, but they did not seem like a team that was done uh, before the Correa deal or after it, even if we assumed it was finalized uh, immediately. So it's just a little bit of a holding pattern and it's, it's really hard to complain. Uh, we talked about this a little bit in the last couple of weeks between podcast episodes even if it falls through, the the, pers- the perspective on it now is different because we all thought it happened. And then if it doesn't, that's still a reasonable uh, situation in which to be disappointed. But they've still had a great offseason, even if that does end up being the case, which is just kind of wild that you could talk about a, an offseason where Jacob deGrom left and the Mets thought they had to deal with Carlos Correa and, and saw it not materialize in the end. Uh, it sounds like nightmare fuel from an alternate reality, right? <laughs> yes. And, and both of those things could happen, although I, I'm more optimistic. Uh, granted, my optimism didn't do much for DeGrom sticking around, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm more optimistic now um, that Correa will be finalized than I think I was even when I had that feeling about DeGrom before he signed with Texas. Um, but yeah, it, it, we're sort of spoiled a little bit, uh, just getting used to that feeling. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's, um, I, I'm pretty confident it happens too. I think that both teams feel like they can't afford to lose face on this, both sides rather. Um, I think it just may just makes sense for the, it makes sense for the Mets to want to have this locked up because they want to show people that they're for real and they mean this and that they're not afraid to go big. And then Correa's side really needs this too because they, I mean, if this deal falls through, I don't even know what the next deal will look like for him. I mean, I, I just, I, there, there's almost no way of, I don't want to say there's no way of knowing. That makes it sound like it's this unknowable thing. But just, if this falls through, I cannot imagine a third team offering $300 million. I don't know if a third team offers $200 million. Do you? Right. It would be surprising to see somebody else come in on that level. Uh, at this point. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, especially in an environment where so few uh, teams are willing to even go there in the first place. Exactly. You know, there's a limited supply of those teams. And I think that all of those teams... I mean, look, let, let's be real here. If the Mets weren't in the position... If the Mets weren't the second team in this scenario 
Would you feel comfortable with the Mets stepping in now? Probably not. Although we could still make the same argument that, uh, hey, Steve Cohen can just do this, and <laughs> right, of, of course, like why yes, not swoop yes. in? But but yeah, I, I it would be understandable for people to be concerned that uh, that their team would go out and make a deal with him in these circumstances, and then use that as a, a reason that they don't spend money in the future if it goes wrong. So yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, it just, it just feels to me like there is going to be a, a slide on the money side and the year side of the contract that Boris and Correa don't want to accept. And so the Mets, and also I think it, we should also mention here that, you know, the Mets and Boris did not do a lot of business over the last 10 years because Sandy Alderson and Boris reportedly do not get on very well together. And it seems like Steve Cohen and Scott Boris are are very, you know, very comfortable working together. And I just think that that relationship is going to push this along on both sides. I think if Cohen isn't the owner, this deal doesn't happen. And I think if Boris isn't the agent, this deal doesn't happen. I think at this point, <laughs> the only way that this works out is everybody in this scenario working out to working out working it out together? I really don't see another option for Correa to have anything close to this, and so yeah, it's interesting. And, and I, I know we're somewhat speaking in circles here. There just isn't any other Mets news. I mean, they didn't bring in another reliever. They didn't. I, I guess they they DFA'd William Woods, right? Yeah, that, <laughs> that happened. Is that the only thing that's happened? And has he cleared waivers? I don't think anybody's reported one way or another. That it has to be close to the time, right? Yeah, you would you would think. Let's see what the old uh, transactions page says. Mm, who's DFA on the twenty seventh? I don't know. Is there a longer time because of the official Holidays? holiday for New Year's? But still, that uh, yeah, that seems like we would have heard one way or another by now. Okay, so according to the MLB trade rumors post about his DFA, just. We know this stuff, but I always like hearing someone else say it. The Mets will have one week to trade him or pass him through waivers, or he sticks with the team, uh, you know. Yeah. So that was the 27th. That was a week. That was more than a week ago, wasn't it? Or was that is that a week today as we record? Uh, it was a week ago yesterday, but I guess to, to get the extra day added for New Year's Day. Right. My uh, guess is nobody cares to – Give us an update on it. <laughs> like, no offense to William Woods. It no. just seems like nobody cares enough to follow up. I'm sure uh, it, if Adam Rubin were still uh, on the Mets beat, I think there probably would have been an update on William Woods this morning. Yeah. Because right. he would have woke, woken up on a mission that, saying, hey, time's up. What happened? You know, right. And got, got the answer from somebody. But um, we'll, we'll give everybody else uh, a little bit of a break with everything else the Mets have going on. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it, I hope for his sake, just because for any player, it seems like it's kind of torture when this happens, that he's not a guy who gets picked up by somebody else and DFA it again, uh, between now and spring training. And then, you know, maybe even again during spring training where it's just, uh, it, you're on the cusp of major league playing time. And as a result, you don't even know which state you're going to have to go to to uh, to do your spring training. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, you know, again, we have talked about how the Mets have been 
acquiring these interesting arms. I would like to see Woods get a chance. And, uh, you know, here we are. So, With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's it. I mean, that, that, is, that is the Mets news for the last two weeks. Um... And so we are going to shift the conversation to a slightly longer uh, music pick segment. We do this every year. We pick five albums from the past year to recommend. Um, I have picked albums that I haven't spoken about here before, but uh, I don't know if Chris has done the same. We don't really talk about our picks too much beforehand, but you're going to come out of this with some uh, some good stuff to listen to. We're also going to make a Spotify playlist with one track from each album on there, so you can take a listen to those, um, you know, after... It'll, it'll be embedded into the show uh, here. So, um, yeah, Chris, why don't you start? Sure, yeah. So I will start with a record that um, I'm, I'm just double-checking. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. So it's going to be a mix of ones that I've talked about on on the show over the course of the year. Uh, and, and ones that I maybe have not, but, uh, I'll start with, this is a photograph by Kevin Morby, which I think I did recommend going back to, let's see, episode 117. So that, that was a little while ago now, yeah, you yeah. know, um, but it definitely stuck with me, uh, as, as one of the better records of the year and, uh, seeing him tour it and and play most of the record live along with uh, a bunch of his other good music in the fall at uh webster hall only solidified that that feeling um it, it's definitely like if you haven't listened to any of his music yet i don't know if it's the best place to start because a couple of other records have maybe a little more uh traditional approaches to songwriting and, and like just some of his really best songs but this album is definitely ambitious and uh and i think he he nailed it um you know not every song on it is it, it, it all sort of works together and uh the opening and closing songs of the record tie together very nicely uh not exactly a rock opera but <laughs> it, it, you know it along the lines of something that that's written where um it's all supposed to string together and it's all supposed to convey uh a, a, an overarching uh sort of theme or story and uh yeah a couple of my favorite songs that he's ever written are on the record too which helps um the song that has the same title as the record 
uh, and, and the song Rock Bottom are both, you know, up there for me. So, yeah, there there's one of the five. And uh, I'll see if I can mix it up a little bit and not and not hit on other ones that I've already recommended. Hey, all, all that means <laughs> is that people are getting a double recommendation, which means they should really check it out because it's obviously very good. Um, no, it, it's funny you talk about that Morby record that way. I was listening to the latest um, – uh, why am I blanking on his name? He made an album with Courtney Barnett. Kurt Vile, there it is. Uh, the last Kurt – the most recent Kurt Vile record and – my like I take a little notes on all the albums I listen to and I just wrote like the most aggressively Kurt Vile record he's ever made in that like he is going all in on the stuff that makes him unique which for a super fan of Kurt Vile would be great but for a casual listener is like the worst place to start with his music right so I totally understand what you mean <laughs> by that um, and that is not one of my five picks but let's talk about another record so I win um, I'm going to start with uh, the self-titled new record by The Bad Plus. They are my favorite active, uh, oh, one of my favorite active jazz bands. They're, they're the rare jazz band that uh, up until very recently had never had a lineup change. But this is their first record as a quartet. They uh, got rid of the, not got rid of, both of their past piano players had left the band. And so this is their... Um, their first time playing as a quartet with a guitar player and a saxophonist. And it really does change the sound of the band considerably. There, There is a Bad Plus record with a saxophone, and there, there have been some Bad Plus live performances with guitar, but never without a piano before. And so I was a little bit... I mean, I was very excited because both of these players are really, really good. Uh, Chris Speed who is the um, the saxophone player, plays in a bunch of sort of uh, modern jazz groups. He plays with Dave King, the drummer for the Bad Plus, in uh, his solo, I guess it's a solo project called the Dave King Trucking Company. I really enjoy that work. Uh, the guitarist Ben Monder is, again, a, a really talented guy. He actually played a lot on David Bowie's last record, um, uh, Black Star. And so it, it's there are two incredible musicians joining the band, and it really has changed the overall tone of the of the of the lineup. Uh, but it still sort of remarkably sounds like the Bad Plus, and that's because the two main songwriters are still there, and because the rhythm section is still there. And so it's both a really interesting exercise in sort of what makes a band a band, and also just some really really good songs. Specifically, the first two songs on the record, "Motivations 2 and "Sunwall," are just among the best songs the Bad Plus ever did. And it's cool that in their third lineup now, they can still be writing really really classic good stuff, even with a totally different uh, style behind it. So yeah, that is my first pick: the self-titled record by the Bad Plus. Very nice hoping to uh, catch them they're, they're playing some shows this year i mean i know they always do but uh -huh. yeah <laughs> but uh, i've not seen one yet so hoping to catch one of their shows this year and uh and we'll definitely give that record a listen um number two stop me if you've heard this before but there's this king gizzard and the lizard wizard record that i really liked uh that i did not recommend over the course of the year it was one of the three that came out in october and i did recommend one of the others already but uh the one that I will add to the list for now. Uh, for now. Um, Ice, Death, Planets, Lungs, Mushrooms, and Lava, which, not going to lie, is one that you kind of have to 
open a tab and have it in front of you to get it right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's definitely, it's similar to the record laminated denim that I recommended uh, a few episodes back uh, in that it's very jammy and, uh, you know, got to hear one of the songs live at Desert Days. Uh, It may have been the first show they played it at only because I don't think the record was even quite out yet at the time. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, ice five was the one that had come out, I think first, uh, it's the second track on the record. Hell's itch is really good. Iron lung was, that was the one they played at desert days that, um, I didn't like fully know what to make of it the first time. And then it was one of the three songs that they played at KEXP at their most recent stop there, all of which were off of this record. Um, and yeah, just a little bit of time, repeat listenings, um, and and then that performance in the KEXP studios uh, sort of brought it all together in a way that it it, it really hit. Um, it's probably of the records they put out last year. I would say it's probably my favorite now. Uh, the best song they put out was still the Dripping Tap, which came out in the spring. But uh, for albums. Uh, I think this is the one that I'm most likely to play the most times moving forward. Uh, But again, that's always subject to change. And, uh, you know, you you almost have to classify King Gizzard things by year, because if you don't, (laughs) comparing them just gets to be like uh, a little, a little, I don't know, chaotic. Well, I mean, so here, here's my King Giz question for you. And yes. there, there is no wrong answer here. I'm just asking the Chris McShane opinion here. Yep. Would you rather them put out less records that are more uniformly to your taste? Or are you happy to have to, um, you know, s- sift through for the gold yourself? Uh, no, I wouldn't change anything about the approach. Um, my only request, if uh, anybody in and their crew happens to be a secret Mets fan and is listening. (laughs) Um, They put out that record infest the rat's nest um, in 2019. And um, like, I've had my fellow them doing just straight up like speed metal. Um, They don't, uh, I don't need that. This part of the live show anymore. You know, it's not bad. It's just not the thing that they're the best at in my opinion, you know? Right. But I wouldn't go back and change and have them not make that record. I think it's it's pretty great that they're that ambitious to to do such a wide range of things and and try to challenge themselves and make it work. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that that gets back to sort of the you know same philosophical question about uh, the Beatles' White Album, which I also wouldn't change. Right? Same. That's a same. record no, that got. Yeah, yeah talked about a lot like oh what if it was trimmed down to uh you know 50 percent of it the the top 50 percent of it and that was just the record so same thing i'd much rather hear more into what musicians um i like are doing and creating and then uh figure out which step is is my go-to so yeah um i i tend to agree with you i had heard once I forget who it was now. 
some band, they never wound up doing it. Maybe it was Guided by Voices, was talking about starting a name for their secondary stuff. So you would only get like one Guided by Voices a year record, but like two or three by basically GBV Jr., where like you would know like you only really have to pay attention to the number one thing, but there's other stuff here too. And I guess that would be useful in some ways, but I'm with you, man. Just give me – if it's a band I love, give me more stuff, right? Um, right. I, that's just how I feel. Um, all right, so my second pick is – I don't think I talked about this on the show, but – oh, no, I did. I am going to talk about one album I talked about on the show, and that's fine. Because I think this album has gone totally under the radar. I have not heard anyone talk about this record, and I really love it. It's by a uh, – I hate the word supergroup. Because especially, like, I feel like that term applies to when all the bands played in arenas before, and none of these bands have played in arenas before. But um, the band is called Plosives, which is short for Explosives, and it is uh, made up of Swami John Race, who is from Rocket from the Crypt and Drive Like Jehu, and is a, an accomplished solo artist doing sort of surf guitar stuff. Rob Crow from a thousand bands, uh, most probably famously Pinback, but also um, Goblin Cock and a few others. Adam Willard, the drummer, has been in a thousand bands. Is currently in uh, um, against me, I believe, but has played in like was in Rocket from the Crypt, was in Angels and Airwaves, was in a Weezer side project for a while, and, and then a bass player I never heard of, but I'm sure he's cool. Um, anyway, the the band is just like it's just really straight ahead, energetic, good rock that verges on punk. Uh, ne- it never quite loses the sense of melody, which like, and I am not necessarily the biggest fan of what we'll call pop punk, right? Like, uh, but I do like my punk to have a strong melodic element to it. Like, you know, I, I when I think about punk, I think about hard, fast songs, but I also think about having a, a melody that you can whistle along to, and that is the Plosives record, like to a T. All of these musicians are incredible, and all of them somewhat, uh lessen their their thing like I think that John Race's guitar playing is best known at this point for being kind of surfy and there's not a ton of surf guitar on this record everyone kind of restrains themselves to fit the tone of the band and while I love surf guitars I want more of that and like I understand why they would do that and uh, yeah I, I truly truly love this record and like I said no one's talking about it so it's kind of weirdly spelled it's P-L-O-S-I-V-S but plosives um, yeah highly recommend it check it out sweet uh, yeah I remember you talking about them and again uh, you know the double wreck just yeah. that much stronger so <laughs> um Psychedelic Porn Crumpets. I did recommend a record of theirs this year, but it was not Night Gnomes, which is the one that came out in 2022. Um, but I am now. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, just uh, just what I want hard rock to be uh, is basically how I describe this band. Um, it's fun. It's it's heavy. Um, you know, it's not metal, but uh you know, it's, it's pretty good, uh, pretty good stuff. And, and like some of their earlier work, you know, they're really good at at making heavy music that's catchy. Uh, so they, uh, they've got a couple songs on here, Lava Lamp Pisco, 
um, acid dent that are really like replayable. Um, so I, I do like that. I mean, I'm, as you might be able to tell from this show, I think we're both album guys, right? Yes. But, uh, I do like when a record <clears throat> has that flexibility that it, like, I love listening to the whole thing start to finish. And also there are some times that I'll just want to pick out a couple songs from it to, uh, you know, to throw into a mix uh, that might sound like to most people like, oh, yeah, that's a thing I do all the time. But for me, it isn't necessarily. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm sitting making a playlist and it's like, well, why wouldn't you want to listen to all of Nanagon Infinity? Like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's yes. nice to have a couple songs that that can uh, really work well in both of those contexts. And I think that's uh, something that I like about the record. And that leaves me so far two out of three uh, bands on this short list are Australian, which uh, again, surprise on no brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, can we just say that that's an 80 grade name for a band? Oh yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun one to say if you haven't said it to somebody before, it's yeah. a fun one to get to say. Yeah. Um, I will never forget, and this is this is not the same name or even the same type of name, but I will never forget uh, being at uh, a family party in the summer of, let's call it 1996 maybe, and the radio being on, and an aunt asking me, who sings this song? And I had to say, Aunt Pat is the butthole surfers. <laughs> like Saying that name out loud to an adult was not great. And I could imagine there was some kid out there having to say a second to like pouring crumpets to their mom right now and not, not loving that. But you know, it works for us. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. Um, all right. So my third record is um, a, a side project from a band that I, I think anyone of sort of our generation is familiar with this band, but they're a band that I think is, is both, divisive and also has had very very different eras so i think if you this is kind of like saying um like if somebody says oh i, I love david bowie the first question you ask is like well what era of david bowie because you know space oddity and uh let's dance are so different right so i think this is a band that's kind of like that i have a couple of records but i'm not the hugest fan of this of this uh band but i love this record so much and it's a it's an album by panda bear who is from animal collective and it's a collaborative album with uh an artist named sonic boom and the album is called reset and before we talk about sort of who panda bear and sonic boom are i just want to um should I give a, a, a sense for how this album feels to me this album feels like time travel to me because there is a lot of like synthesizer and sort of stuff that is clearly very much of its time being 2022, a lot of technological things, but a lot of the influence for the music is very much set in like the 50s and 60s, uh, specifically like some early rock and roll doo-wop type stuff and also some like Brazilian pop stuff from that era. So there's this really interesting mix of just classic sounds that maybe are recontextualized in this modern era. And it just it just feels it doesn't feel like there are so many sample based 
music, some of his artists rather, where you hear it just sounds like it. You 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 can basically hear the uh, damage on the vinyl record that was used to get the sample, and so it sounds old, but everything around it sounds brand new. This manages to make the old stuff sound new and the new stuff sound old. It's just a, it's a immaculately produced record. And like I said, Panda Bear is a member of um, Animal Collective. Sonic Boom is uh, a member of the Spaceman Three, who some people out there might be familiar with, a, uh, a sort of alternative rock band from the uh, late '80s. And uh, this is just it, it's a really really fascinating record. I, I think it sounds unlike anything else I heard this year. And like I said, it, to me it sounds like time travel, and I'm kind of obsessed with time travel as, a, as as both a concept and as like a, I think a lot of good art should make you feel out of time, because art should represent things we can't necessarily feel, like day to day. So I, I'm, I'm borderline obsessed with this record, I love it, it's great. Uh, Reset by Panda Bear and Sonic Boom. Nice. Um... I'm going to stick to bands that people won't be surprised to hear, but at the same time, this is not an album that I had recommended yet on the show. Going to going to have to come up with some stuff in the future episodes of this show <laughs> uh, to to fill some of these slots that I'm using up. But um, Kikigaku Moyo uh, put out a record that they were calling their last. Um, did their tour under that same premise that they're going on an indefinite hiatus. I would like to think that the period of time that'll pass before they come back together and play shows and make music uh, won't be that long, but you never know. Uh, so for now, what is officially considered the final studio record by them is called Kamoyo Island. And, uh, and it's one that took a little bit of time to, to grow on me. Uh, again, hearing it, live and songs from it live helped to build on that and now it's in a place that i'm like yeah yeah that's a pretty damn good record um but it just didn't click immediately for me like that um but i think now with a little more time to digest it and everything it did it sort of does a nice job of uh doing new things you know uh, putting new songs together uh while also uh, sort of drawing upon a bunch of things they had done in the past. So even something as simple as like a specific guitar effect that uh, uh, in the first track of this record, it's just use of, uh, I don't technically, I'm not sure if it's a volume pedal or, or a, or a wah or like a variation of it. Um, but it's just this effect that's really prominent in the opening track of this record that has been used uh, as part of their sound with the guitar on their previous albums, but maybe a little less, uh, you know, sort of out front like it is here. Um, so I like that. Like I, I, obviously all that matters is whether or not you actually enjoy listening to the songs in the end. But if you do, and then you can also sort of have like musical versions of comedy callbacks um i'm i'm a i'm a sucker for that so um yeah it's it, the the single they re released off this record is called um cardboard pile and it's 
it's good. It's more of a nod to like the earliest stuff, but it was definitely not the song that I would have picked as the first one to get people excited for if they'd like really been into the band for the last few years. But, <laughs> but in context now, um, I, I like it and it, you know, uh, it works and the whole, the whole album works. So, uh, happy to get to pick that one. Uh, if their hiatus is permanent or long term, I will probably, I think there's only one LP of theirs that I haven't recommended yet. <laughs> so they'll, they'll probably come up again on this podcast. But, uh, but yeah, for now, I am just grateful that they've made as much music as they have and that we've gotten to see them play it so many times. And, uh, and I got a, a vinyl copy of this record for Christmas, which uh, sort of capped off, uh, you know, my experience with it for 2022. So, Kamoyo Island by King. Uh, no, not King. Kikagaku Moyo. <laughs> it, it's funny. Both this and that King Giz record, I, I made a playlist in October that I just threw every record that a friend or a, a critic I like, whatever recommended for the year and I put it in this playlist that was like 150 hours long and I tried to listen to all of them before the end of the year and I just couldn't get to it so I'm, I'm slowly making my way through that playlist still though and this is on there so I can't wait to check this out because I do I do really enjoy their work but did not hear this record before the end of the year so I will push this to the top of the list um, so my uh, my next record is so I, I have um, my wife is the youngest of four and by a considerable margin. And so I have a lot of nieces and nephews who are older than like what you would think a 40-year-old guy's nieces and nephews are. And so uh, my nephew Luca is the coolest person I know. He's 19 or 20. He goes to college. He's an acting student. And he has really interesting music taste. So about once every few months, I'll just text him and say, like, hey, what are you listening to? And he said, you have to listen to this album by Steve Lacey. It's called Gemini Writes. And I had heard of Steve Lacey before, but I was not super familiar with him. Uh, he is very young. He was born in 1998 when I was in high school, so I feel really fucking old. But um, he is a, uh, a singer, songwriter, guitar player. I think when I hear him, I tend to hear sort of three artists in in equal measure uh, one of which is Mac DeMarco somebody I know that you, both Chris both you and I really appreciate uh, one of which is uh, Thundercat the sort of uh, you know uh, the, the bass player who's an incredible bass player but who has sort of been doing really interesting work sort of melding like some more some jazzier stuff with some hip hop with some pop and the third is Prince and um, you know I don't think it's going to come as a shock to anybody that I love Prince or that Prince is awesome. And so Steve Lacey's, uh, the, the record is called Gemini Writes, and it is inconsistent, which I think all three of those artists I mentioned, actually, as much as I appreciate them, I think I would not label them as consistent in their output. And so I think Lacey sort of falls in that similar category where song by song, record by record, you may have a different, um, you know, different enjoyment of, of his work, but I really, really like this record a lot. Like I said, it just it reminds me specifically of of like the post Purple Rain Prince stuff, like Around the World in a Day and Sign of the Times. And I love those albums so much. And uh, I think that this is just such a cool record to hear um, because it just it just sounds like it, it, to me it sounds unlike 
anything else coming out right now, aside from maybe Thundercat, like I said before. But I think that this is this is a very different vibe than Thundercat also. Um, another thing is, like, personally, I am trying to be better about listening to stuff that, quote, young people listen to because I can get very trapped in my sort of little, uh, you know, um, corners of the music world and not listen to anything that came out this year. I, I could be very happy listening to a year of, like, weird Japanese jazz from the 70s or, you know, <laughs> punk bands from the late 70s or, uh, you know, I there was a year, uh, a couple of years ago, where I got really into the music of 1985 specifically. I was like, this is the best year for music ever. And I just listened to, like, old school rap and college rock and whatever like so i can get in these traps and so i'm trying to be better about listening to stuff that has like relevance to people who are not 40 years old and so i'm proud of myself for checking out this record thank you luca uh yeah that's my next pick <laughs> nice i like that and, and i think that's a goal that we both share uh Anybody who tells you that there's no good music being made anymore doesn't know what they're talking about. There always is. Yes. And there always will be. Yes. Um, and it's never been easier to go out and try to find it. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. If you, yeah if, you, so, if you pay your 10 bucks a month for Apple Music or Spotify or Tidal or whatever, like you have access to more music than any record shop you ever walked into in your life. Yeah, which is wild. But yes. Very true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so last one for fifth, you, right? Yeah, the the fifth one. I, I think you know when I was looking, both for my own just personal sake, and and obviously in trying to come off like a prepared podcaster for this show. Uh, when I look at the list of albums that really came to mind for my favorites of 2022, um, gonna have to be a double wreck on on one that I did on an earlier episode. Um, so I will go with Ty Siegel's Hello High, uh, which, again, this is a recurring theme with almost everything I've talked about here, <laughs> getting getting to hear those songs live. Um, he did a, a solo acoustic show, a format that I've seen him play in a couple of times, which uh, really is a nice way to get to listen to his songs. Uh, and he goes up there and he has a good time with it. It has a, sense of humor uh doesn't take himself too seriously uh but it's also the live format where his voice really gets to shine and he has a really good one uh, a lot of times with you know the the full band and the the shows that lean a little heavier um he'll sort of lose his voice by the end of a show because it's just so you know so intense and he's uh, so into it uh so you know Getting to hear the songs uh, in a in a quieter way it was uh, was a really nice thing, and and the the record Hello High um, lends itself to that. You know, it's not all solo acoustic, but it's definitely a little more chilled out than uh, you know than some of his other work. But uh, yeah, there's just a a way with the the combination of lyrics and the harmony that, or sorry, the melody that he uses for them. Um, I, I don't know. He's, he's just super gifted. And as much as King Gizzard are the ones who are uh, known for being prolific with their output, uh, Ty's pretty damn close. You know, yes. <laughs> he's been at it a little bit longer. Uh, and I don't know if he has 20 
I don't know what King Gizzard's up to now, 23 or four studio albums. Uh, he doesn't quite have that, but but he has made an awful lot of music. Uh, it's rare that there's a year that goes by that he hasn't put out an album in some format, whether it's under his name or Fuzz. Um, he's got a new band with his, his wife, the CIA, uh, that's coming around, I think, in March. Uh, I forget whether or not that record's out. You know, it, it is, you can be super into all this stuff and it can be very hard to keep up uh, at the same time. So, uh, yeah. So, second uh, double wreck of the five here, but one that I strongly recommend. Uh, it's good if it's a nice, you know, sunny Saturday or Sunday morning and you haven't heard this record yet, that's a nice time to put it on uh, for the first time. So, uh, just looking at this, that, that, Leaves me with two American records, two Australian, uh, one, uh, you know, Kika. They're all, they're all from Japan, although they're based in Amsterdam. So yeah, I don't know. You can maybe split that record between Europe and and Japan <laughs> uh, in terms of its origin. But uh, yeah, and three that you hadn't heard specifically before uh, on this show, and two that you had. So that's my. My very quick statistical analysis of my own <laughs> recommendations. Well, you inspired me, Chris, to to go with a double recommendation for myself for the last one because I, I you know, looking at most of my top, I I sort of organized my list into like ten that I I think are sort of unimpeachably favorites of mine, and then I make a list of fifty albums every year, and the rest that are you know I really enjoy but aren't necessarily at that level. I had rec- recommended all, I think maybe aside from one of the sort of top records of the year for me. And I want to talk about stuff that I really enjoy and love, and so I'm going to go for it. Uh, I also recognize that I did not recommend this album when you were on the show. It was one of the weeks that you were not here. I'd talk about this album, so I figure I'm going to talk about it with you here too. Uh, and that is there's a musician named Tony Molina, and I honestly cannot tell you how I came into contact with Tony Molina's music the first time. Um I, it must have been when I was writing for um, I, I, I there are periods of my life where I had written for music publications like online doing album reviews so I must have been sent one of his albums but the best way I can describe him is well first of all I don't think any of his songs are over two minutes long maybe even over 90 seconds long they're all very very short especially on this most recent record called Into the Fade In the Fade rather and it is uh, let's see I want to say it's 14 songs long. And yeah, 14 songs, 18 minutes, 28 seconds. Um, all of the songs are super melodic. Most of them have really fun lead guitar work on them. He sounds like if you took sort of mid-period Beatles and Pinkerton-era Weezer and a little bit of like a classical guitarist and put them together. These are the songs that would come out. They are all just like these melody bombs with cool guitar parts and everything's over before you know it. Nothing overstays its welcome at all. And um, I I have been a fan of his for like 10 years now. Every time he puts out an album, I'm like, all right, this is the album. It's not going to be as great as the one before it. But no, each one is fucking amazing. And um, 
like I said, there is something to be said for putting on a record and it being done before you even realize it. Like the other day, I put this on when I was making my kids dinner and I had to put on a second album to get through dinner because it took me more than 18 minutes to make whatever I cooked for them. So, you know, um, it's but it's super refreshing and uh, there's a bunch of albums out there. He was also in a band called Ovens before this that makes similar music. So like if you check this out and you like it, the good news of it is that there is a lot more of it. The bad news of it is that if you put it all into a playlist, it's probably still less than an hour and a half. Like, like there are some records I listened to that, that came out this year that will be twice as long as his entire discography, more than likely. Um, but yeah, uh, excellent, excellent musician, Tony Molina in the fade. That is my last pick of the day. Nice. And I, uh, I really do need to listen to it at this point because um, it shares a name with one of my favorite Queens of the Stone Age songs mm-hmm. that Mark Lanigan sang. Um, so, you know, what? Uh, um, I should have listened to it already by now, but <laughs> but but I, I, I need to uh, get on that uh, if only, uh, you know, the, those two connections, your yeah. recommendation and, and that title. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that is some of our favorite music from the past year. Uh, people are really great about tweeting at us occasionally with their music recs, and uh, I'm encouraging everybody to t- that's stuck around. If you're still listening to this podcast at this point, please tweet at us with some music we haven't heard yet, maybe this from this past year, because Chris and I both love music, obviously. <laughs> uh, we talked about it for a very long time today, so please do that. And while yeah. you're doing that, uh, go to AmazingAvenue.com, where you can find uh, all the Mets news and analysis when it happens. Let, uh, like I said, we're recording this Wednesday the 4th. I am guessing as soon as we stop recording, the Korea deal will be official. So you're welcome on that. Um, and uh, but yeah, we have we're currently in the in the beginnings of our prospect list, which is always a good time to see who our team of minor league anal- analysts think are going to be the most important Mets prospects for the next few years. I always learn so much from that series, and hopefully you do as well. Uh, Amazing Avenue is also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. This show can be found wherever you get podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get it, please rate, review, and subscribe to it. That helps us quite a bit. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am on Twitter at Brian Insanap. And until next time, let's go Mets and send us your music recs.